Trump indicted again and the circus continues. Democrats continue to display severe signs of brainwashing. And Christopher Steele of the Russian dossier is back in the news. This is the Propaganda Report's Drive Time News Blast. I am Brad Binkley. Top story. I have not read the full indictment yet, but according to a court document and Jack Smith's statement here, Former President Trump has been indicted by a federal grand jury in Smith's investigation into efforts to overturn the 2020 election. This is the January 6th related indictment, the one everybody's been waiting for. Trump foreshadowed this a few weeks ago and today, right before it came out. The four counts against Trump are conspiracy to defraud the United States, conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding, obstruction of and attempt to obstruct an official proceeding, and conspiracy against rights. This is the one where in order to prosecute Trump that at trial, they're going to have to put their own claims about the 2020 election on trial as well. And that might not end well for them because to convict Trump, they're going to have to first prove that the 2020 election was the most secure election in American history. A lot of those claims that haven't actually been the challenges to the 2020 election, that haven't actually been looked at by a court on the merits because they've been dismissed by process or standing. I talked about it on a show a couple weeks ago. Those claims might actually be examined on the merits in this case because they'll have to be in order for them to first prove their premise, which all of this is based on, which is that the election was so super secure that Trump knew it was secure and he was intentionally telling people that there was election fraud anyway. It'll be interesting to see where this one goes, and apparently Pence, from what I'm hearing in the early reports of it, was a central witness in this indictment, which, not that he had a chance anyway, not that anybody has a chance in the GOP, but that'll go ahead and knock him right out. It looks like Jack Smith here said that January 6th was fueled by lies told by Trump. You see how CNN puts the headline, special counsel says January 6th insurrection was, quote, fueled by lies told by Trump, as though he said insurrection, which I don't think he said. He said unprecedented attack is what he said. But they, even if they're getting what they want, they're still trying to put in extra language to try and convince people that something happened that didn't actually happen. So there you go. Indictment number three. Another empty indictment. Trump's going to fundraise millions off of this. Trump, what's Trump's lead now? Like 800 points in the GOP primary? It's just going to shoot up. It's going to be 10,000 point lead. Everybody's going to have 0.001 if they continue to indict Trump. But while their attacks to this point have centered on Trump, it appears that they might be going after his family now. Melania specifically, there are two stories today that lead me to believe that. The first one, the headline says... New fundraising report reveals Trump PAC paid eye-popping amount to Melania's stylist for strategy consulting. The latest round of FEC disclosures showed that Save America PAC, the leadership PAC supporting Trump, continued to burn through tens of millions of dollars on his legal fees for various indictments and other entanglements with the judicial system. But that wasn't the only eye-popping number in the reports. The PAC also paid over 108000 for, quote, strategy consulting to Pierre Brilliard for the first six months of 2023. That number might not seem all that odd for a presidential campaign, especially in comparison to Trump's former campaign manager, Brad Parcells, who was ousted from his perch after a series of revealing reports about how he was handsomely profiting from the campaign. But Brilliard isn't a political consultant. Which would make it perfectly fine if Brilliard is profiting. 
Capitalism. They just undermined their entire argument right there. He's a French-American fashion designer and has also been Melania Trump's stylist for years. Designing the gown she wore to her husband's inaugural ball in January of 2017, he also previously designed inaugural gowns for other first ladies, including Hillary Clinton, Laura Bush, and Michelle Obama. Okay. Incredibly, despite Trump's cash crunch, his Save America leadership pack shelled out another 108000 in the first six months of the year for Melania Trump's stylist, Brilliard, while insisting to the FEC that it's for strategy consulting. This is the biggest non-story story of the day, besides the indictment. And in 2022, it says here, they paid the guy 132000 So he's on pace to make over 200000 this year. You don't think a stylist makes, like, a stylist for wealthy people makes millions of dollars? Back in August, Melania Trump's office issued a statement regarding the payments to Brilliard, saying, Mr. Pierre is a world-renowned artist. His work extends to many different fields, not just fashion design. His expertise is utilized for special projects and events. They act like they don't know how much consultants get paid, especially in Washington, D.C. This is a bogus story. If it were a real story, they would compare how little Barbara Bush and Hillary and Michelle Obama paid this guy in comparison to the gross overspending, the reckless spending that Trump and Melania spent on him. But they didn't do that probably because they paid him relatively the same. They didn't show what his rates are. They didn't show how much he normally makes a year because this doesn't seem out of the ordinary at all. This is a made-up story to try and generate more controversy around Trump. And there's another story, too. That one wouldn't have stood out to me had I not seen this one as well. This one involves one of Melania's alleged former best friends. This is in a tweet from Maida's Touch. It says, in all caps, paging Jack Smith. Melania Trump's ex-best friend Stephanie Winston Wokoff just dropped this bombshell on Lights On with Jessica Denson podcast. Here's the clip. I pray that people that are listening to this really, really listen and understand that the corruption and the disingenuousness and the um, deceit and the deception is all very real and that they want nothing good for you. Seems like she's trying a little too hard to be shaky and cry right there. Seems like she's doing poor acting to me. At all. And if you think otherwise, I don't know how to explain to you that they tried to take my life down. And I mean, I almost died. I was in the hospital for over a month. Uh, two spinal fusions later, the first lady, Melania Trump, actually said publicly that I brought that upon myself. So. It's sick. It's sick. And no, not one person commented on it. Not one. It's the first time I'm actually even talking about it. I brought that upon myself. How dare you? So I want Melania Trump to know that she will be held accountable and she will have to answer certain questions at a certain point in time. How dare you? Because her talking points mean nothing. Absolutely nothing. And I do hope the investigators do have her signals that I have. And I hope that they have her text messages. And I hope that they have every email that has, was written on a non-government email address. Because those emails show Melania is very well aware of everything. What you went through was unthinkable. Um, and you are totally worthy of, of peace now for the path that you have chosen to take. 
Thank you. And, and so are you. So we get no context in that clip about what she's talking about. And you can see that they cut it kind of funny to remove something out of that clip. I have no idea what that story is about. I will look it up later. The point is, this seems like the beginning of extending the attacks beyond just Trump and targeting his family now, starting with Melania. Something to look out for. Okay, now on to the Democrats and the media's ongoing reaction to Devin Archer's testimony yesterday to Congress. It's a classic. It really is truly one for the ages. Those of us who live in reality know that Archer's testimony proved that Joe lied about never talking to Hunter about his business dealings and not being involved in it at all. But when it comes to Joe and Hunter Biden, reality is not where most Democrats live. They live in a land of lies and self-deception where their ability to perceive suffers under the tyranny of cognitive dissonance. In that reality, Devin Archer's testimony did the opposite. It, according to Democrat Representative Dan Goldman, completely absolved President Biden of any involvement in Hunter's business world. Devin Archer uh, was Hunter Biden's business partner from 2013 to 2016, and he was most notably on the board of Burisma with Hunter Biden. And what he testified to yesterday uh, completely absolves Joe Biden of any involvement in Hunter Biden's business world. You heard him. Case closed in that world anyway, a world in which the only thing President Biden is guilty of is being a grieving father. A grieving father who, as he was struggling watching one of his sons die, fell victim to the manipulative exploits of his other son, which MSNBC perfectly explains to us here. As far as Hunter Biden goes, there's no doubt. I mean, it's pretty clear even those close to the Biden family suggest that some of his behavior is pretty unseemly. That doesn't make it illegal. And it also means that we don't know the role that then Vice President Biden may have played. And it seems like, no, they haven't proven that he had anything to do with it. They haven't proven that he profited from this at all. Yet maybe he is guilty of turning a blind eye to some of his son's uh, behavior. And we should put this in context. This is a time when Bo Biden, the president's other son, was ill and then dying and then, and then passed away. Uh, so perhaps he was not as attentive to what he should have been here. But again, there has simply been no evidence, Gene Robinson, no evidence at all that he was profiting from this or he or that either of them committed a crime when it came to this. And we hear here from Comer and other Republicans, it's wishful thinking. They're trying to create yeah. a scandal. They can't even say that without acknowledging with the way they're talking that they're lying. L listen to him pause there. Uh, so perhaps he was not as attentive to what he should have been here. But again, there has simply been no evidence, Gene Robinson, no evidence at all that he was profiting from this or he or that either of them committed a crime when it came to this. And we hear here from Comer and other Republicans, it's wishful thinking. They're trying to create yeah. a scandal when there's no evidence that they have one. Yeah, they're trying to create a scandal or at least the appearance of a scandal, the the sort of uh, you know smokiness of a yeah. scandal, uh, and 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 just create that atmosphere uh, without actual evidence and without an actual scandal, um, because I you know I think it's pretty clear, at least so far, there is nothing there. Uh, there is nothing there. Uh, you could certainly argue that at at some point, if if Hunter Biden put. Um, uh, President Biden on the speaker phone like 20 times, um, you could certainly ask whether at some point he, uh, President Biden might have said, hey, 
quit putting me on speakerphone. Uh, you know, are, are you having a business meeting? Like, what what is that about? But um, but the context is that uh, this was a, a a sort of very fraught and and sad time for the Biden family. And we know how important family is uh, to the president. And so do you hang up on your phone, on your on your son uh, at, at any time, but certainly at a moment like that? And probably the answer is no. There you have it. Joe didn't know what was going on during all those calls. How could he have? He was sad. And Hunter took advantage of his sadness. This was all Hunter's fault. And here we thought that the first family member that Hunter started screwing was his dead brother's wife, when as it turns out, before his brother even died, he was already screwing his own dad. Joe is an innocent victim here. Hunter created this situation. That is the narrative. That is the implications of the narrative. Hunter the screw-up, they're going to drive him back into drugs with all this. I mean, he's got this great career in painting, and now they're pinning everything on him. The question now is, will Joe Biden pardon Devin Archer for providing that testimony that completely absolved him of any involvement with Hunter's business and finally proving once and for all that everything Joe is experiencing right now is all Hunter's fault? I mean, I would think that he deserves a pardon. He he was set to go to prison for a year, right? We shall see. Somebody should ask him that. If, If these are the facts we're going to be operating on, then in that world, Devin Archer should get a pardon. All right, next story. Christopher Steele is back in the news. You probably remember him. Steele is the former British spy and FBI confidential human source who was paid by the Clinton campaign to create the now infamous Steele dossier, or P dossier as some know it, that was at the center of the Trump-Russia collusion hoax back in 2016-2017. 2018, it went on for a while, that dossier that the Durham report found that not a single substantive allegation in it was ever corroborated. That guy, he's back, and he's spreading propaganda again, this time about the Ukraine-Russia war, and he's doing it as an expert on Sky News, where he appears a lot, apparently. You know there's an espionage operation going on when Christopher Steele is repurposed after being out of the limelight for a little while as a Ukraine war expert, and he's telling Sky News in an interview a couple of days ago, predicting that Putin's reign of power will be over within a year. And then he laid out a number of scenarios for how that might happen. Here he is speaking about one of those scenarios in this clip here. You get to hear the guy behind the P dossier's voice, maybe for the first time. But I think a lot of the elites... Uh, and some key people from the past, including people critically from a security service background, a KGB background, have kind of distanced themselves from the war and are not vocal about it, are not seen at the meetings with the leadership, and are almost sort of standing by, in a sense, I think, to move on the leadership if necessary. That's him. That's the man behind the P dossier. And he now says that the elites inside Russia are standing by and ready to move on Putin if necessary. I wonder what sign or whose signal they might be waiting for. I certainly don't think it's CIA or MI6. No reason they would be involved in that, right? Other possible scenarios, he says, are one, illness. He says that very credible sources are telling them that Putin has been ill for some time. 
Pardon me if I question what he calls a credible source based on his recent history. Another scenario, he says, is assassination. He believes Putin could be assassinated by either internal elements or a plot from outside of Russia. He doesn't say from where. The next possibility he describes, he says it like this. A move is made violently, if necessary, to kill or topple Putin in favor of another securocrat or regime oligarch. A securocrat is a high-ranking military official who has influence, I believe. He then goes on to say, but one who has distanced themselves from the war and is prepared to negotiate on ending it genuinely with the West. So someone friendly to the West. The next possibility is another military coup, except this one orchestrated by senior officials from the country's mainstream armed forces who are disillusioned by the failures and losses in Ukraine. So they would have to believe the Ukraine propaganda. And another final possibility for how Putin could be removed is by a popular uprising by either a nationalist figure such as the Wagner chief, as one example, whatever you might believe about that, or a democratic action by supporters of jailed Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny, which we have certainly been trying to stir one of those up for quite some time now. He says that possibility would be very unpredictable and possibly bloody in the short term with outcomes obviously being more favorable for the West and Ukraine if democratic figures were able to seize control, which I'm sure we would have a couple on hand to plant over there to make sure that that happened. So is it likely that he came to those conclusions about what might happen because of information that he got from a credible source that this guy on screen here got? Not likely at all. He more or less makes up things that are going to help him serve his espionage objective. Whether he gets it from a source or he fabricates it out of thin air, I think is irrelevant. I think the purpose of the operation is what is more important. And in this situation here, these are probably less predictions that he's making than they are strategies that he, MI6, and the CIA are deploying to ensure that Putin is removed from power in a way that's favorable to the West. That's my prediction. The guy is no doubt involved in some sort of espionage operation. That's what he does. What's interesting is when he's introduced on Sky News, they usually introduce him as a guy who wrote the Russia Steele dossier. Now, why would he own that as a badge of honor as that, like, a reason that he's credible is because he's the guy behind the Russia Steele dossier. Why would he be like, yeah, I'm the author of that dossier, that everybody now knows is wholly untrue, that before they knew that was the central driving force behind what ended up being a two-year-long Trump-Russia investigation, one that the media over there in the United States propagated as though it were true for the entire time, one that some people probably still believe, one whose central claim was that one president hired prostitutes to pee on a mattress because he hated another president that much because he thought that other president had once slept on that mattress. I'm the guy behind that fabricated hoax. That's why you can trust me. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? Because he's a spy. He's involved in the work of espionage, and his main tool for attempting to achieve his espionage-related objectives is large-scale deception using propaganda such as the Steele dossier, and creating a dossier full of lies that for two years half of a nation believed and obsessed over. That's the kind of work that any agent of espionage 
who is judged based on his ability to deceive populations would be proud of. All right, before we get to the final story of the day, which is going to be my first ever defense of Lizzo. I feel like there's a story in the news today where she's being wrongfully targeted, and I mean that. And I'm going to give my first ever passionate defense of that woman. But before we do that, I want to tell you what we're going to talk about in the DMBXR, the subscriber-only portion of the show, which are 10 ways that plants defend themselves from being eaten. I find stuff like that very cool because the more I learn about plants, the more I realize how alive they actually are. So I'm going to talk about some of that. If you want to get access to that subscriber-only portion of the show, you can go to patreon.com slash report and subscribe there today. What you will get along with the subscriber-only portion of the show is you will get the DNB, this show, ad-free. I take out all of the ads for subscribers. I put it together with the XR, and it goes into your own personal private RSS feed that you can pop into whatever app that you listen on. And when I upload it to Patreon, it will automatically upload. That is how I support the show. That is how I keep the show going. If you want to support in another way, you can go to iTunes, podcast, whatever your app is, leave a five-star review and a comment that warms my heart, and or you can let the ads play through. If the ads don't play through, we don't get anything from them, so it really helps us out when you do allow them to go through. So thank you for that. Thank you for all the support that you guys have given and continue to give. You can find me at youtube.com slash bradbinkley, rumble.com slash the prop report, at Freedom Act Radio on Twitter, and my website is propagandafight.com. All right, now on to the final story of the day, which is a story in the news that has a headline that is absolutely fake. Completely fake, and it's one of those stories that most people are never going to read past the headline, yet a ton of people are going to retweet it, share it, comment on it. So I think, I think we need to go into it a little bit because somebody... The subject of this story, I think, is being wrongfully targeted. And you might be surprised about who it is, although I probably revealed that already in the teaser. Here's the headline. Lizzo forced dancers to eat bananas from sex workers' vaginas during Amsterdam trip. Bombshell lawsuit. That led to a lot of funny jokes on Twitter today, but I'm sorry to say that is simply not true. I mean, it's not true at all. It's fake, and I'm no fan of Lizzo. You know that. But I'm going to defend her on this one. Because she deserves to be defended because this lawsuit is bogus. Like, I read the actual complaint here. It's totally bogus. It's so bogus that if she wasn't a famous rich person, no lawyer would ever take such an obviously frivolous case that had no chance of winning. The only reason a lawyer would take a case like this is because they're hoping to get an out-of-court settlement. And they appear to be trying to do that here by sensationalizing this story in the media to try and make Lizzo look bad in hopes that they can pressure her into paying off their clients and make the story go away because Lizzo's worried about her public image. Now, a lot of jokes can be made about that. But I'm guessing that Lizzo doesn't want to be painted as a big black girl who bullies other big black girls and fat shames them using her power over them, abusing them is the way this lawsuit portrays her. There is no case here. They want a quick payoff, and to that I say, take these entitled bitches to court, Lizzo. Don't give them a dime. I will say this, however. This is also a lesson to Lizzo and other virtue signalers, a lesson in what happens when you hire woke progressive Gen Zers who've grown up learning to be offended at everything, and then turns around once they are offended and accuses the guilty party in their minds 
of racism, sexism, ableism, fat shaming, whatever else you can think of. This one dancer suing Lizzo, for example, the main plaintiff in the case, really the only one to talk about, is the perfect example of why no one wants to hire someone who has pronouns in their bio or on their resume. You're just advertising that you are going to be a problem. You're going to get offended by things that shouldn't be offensive, and you're going to accuse somebody of something they didn't do, potentially damaging their reputation. Why would you hire someone like that? And I'll show you what I mean. I'm going to go through a couple of the specifics in the complaint here. To be clear, Lizzo is disgusting. Her behavior, totally. Absolutely, especially when you see the context. But simply being disgusting is not in and of itself a violation of a crime that someone else is entitled to court-ordered damages from because they subjectively find it offensive. So the girls that are suing her, they met Lizzo when they became contestants on her dance competition TV show called Lizzo's Watch Out for the Big Girls, in which contestants, all of whom were large and most of whom were black, would compete to become members of Lizzo's touring dance team, like get their dream job, right? And the girls who are suing her, they were all selected. They all won. They got their job that they've always wanted, their dream job, until it became a nightmare of their own doing. But they won the contest, and they were hired by Lizzo. Like, hey, this isn't like a one-time gig. They were performers in her shows. They were her backup dancers. The defendants named in the lawsuit are obviously Lizzo, and then another woman who is a judge on the show, as well as a dance instructor, and I believe a dance instructor who tours with Lizzo, I think. Her name is Shirlene Quigley. And here's what they are being sued for. They're being sued for sexual harassment, religious harassment, racial harassment, and disability discrimination. There's a few other things in there which don't have any merit either, but these are the more interesting ones that I want to show you some specifics of. Some of the alleged harassment occurred while they were on tour with Lizzo. Other of it happened back in 2021 while the one dancer was on her show as a contestant. And that's an important thing to remember because when they were chosen to be on the TV show, before they were picked, they had to agree to terms of a contract and sign that contract that required them to do certain things that reflected Lizzo's performance style. Lizzo gets naked a lot, okay? So the contestants were going to have to do one nude photo shoot as part of the competition. And this girl who's suing her says in the document that she did not want to do a nude photo shoot, but the thought of not being a member of Lizzo's touring dance team was scarier to her than doing the nude photo shoot. So after weighing her options, she chose to sign the contract knowing she was agreeing to do that photo shoot as part of the television show. Yet despite this, much of her harassment allegations still center around the fact that she felt anxiety because of this upcoming nude photo shoot, which, because she had kind of an anxiety attack, they did not even make her appear nude in. She was the only one they made an exception for. They allowed her to wear uh, a top, uh, her underwear, basically. The only one who was not nude, entitled above all of them, and they didn't even kick her off of the show. For that They could have done it. It would have been well within their legal right to do so because she was in violation of the contract at that point, but they allowed her to stay anyway. And yet, despite all of this, despite being the only one that an exception was made for, 
She still cited as part of her court complaint, feeling pressured to participate in this nude photo shoot as part of the sexual harassment she experienced. That's quite extraordinary, isn't it? A level of entitlement there. She's the one who's in violation of the contract, yet simply feeling pressured not to be in violation of what she agreed to is in and of itself sexual harassment. Wow. Here's another one of the sexual harassment claims. She says that they were exposed to an overtly sexual atmosphere that permeated their workplace. You're a dancer for Lizzo. What do you, what do you think you're doing? Have you never seen the dances you were performing or the outfits that Lizzo wears? She says in the complaint that Miss Quigley, the dance instructor, would joke around during rehearsals and tell them stories about her masturbatory habits and sexual fantasies, including her fantasy to have 10 penises in her face at once. Just interface waving around, I think. And she would occasionally stop and pretend to perform oral sex on a banana. I'm sorry, this is not harassment. This is a theater environment with a teacher who's joking around in a dirty way, yes, but joking around nevertheless. And I guarantee you most of them thought it was funny. I've seen, I've seen this very thing so many times in theater atmospheres when people are trying to break the tension and just get people out of their heads. Now, there's other ways to do it. But I've literally seen this exact thing. This is not sexual harassment. She was not threatening this girl into feeling like she needed to suck on a banana. And she could have left. She could have quit. She didn't like it. The next sexual harassment claim is that Lizzo pressured this girl and the dancers to go out on the town with her to, to nude clubs after shows. Simply being asked, by the way, to go out on the town to a nude club in and of itself seems to be a form of sexual harassment to this girl, which, for some reason, she went with Lizzo to the nude club. Why? Because she said she felt pressured to say yes because all the other girls were dancing. That's not sexual harassment. And the nude club, by the way, it was a strip club called Bananin Bar, and it was in Amsterdam's red light district. You can't voluntarily choose to go to a strip club in the red light district of Amsterdam And then when you walk in, say you're being sexually harassed. Because when they arrived, the types of things you would expect to happen at a place like that happened. In fact, in the complaint, the chick says that when they got there, Lizzo was hounding them and the other dancers to engage with the nude performers, even encouraging them to touch the boob of the nude performers. To the point of where this girl, she didn't want to, she resisted at first, but because they were cheering, touch the boob, touch the boob, all in unison, all of the other girls were cheering her on to touch the boob. She'd probably never been to Amsterdam before, and she caved, and she touched the boob, and she felt sexually harassed by touching another woman's boob. This is like the equivalent of the party girls telling the shy girl just to come out on the dance floor and have a good time tonight, to relax. Because... When you look this place up, the thing that they're known for, one of the things, is that you can go to this strip club. It's like a main feature they advertise to get people to come. It's what people go there for, is you can grope the breast of the performers with all of your friends. It literally says that that is one of the, like, $50 services you can pay for. And you know Lizzo's paying for it. Lizzo's like, I already paid for it. Come on, touch the titties with us, girl. It's a bonding activity, you know? She also says in the complaint that Lizzo hounded them to try and catch the dildos that were being ejected from the performer's vaginas. That might seem like an odd thing in most places, not in the red light district of Amsterdam, and definitely not at this place, because again, this is also advertised 
as what you can come do at this bar. It's like when they fire T-shirts out of the T-shirt gun at halftime of an NBA basketball game. Everybody wants to get a T-shirt. Everybody loves a souvenir. People are probably on the ground fighting over these dildos that they're firing out. Basically, her complaint is that after agreeing to go to this bar, Lizzo encouraged her to do the things that everybody goes to this bar specifically to do. Not forced her, encouraged her. Finally, she also claims that Lizzo loudly cheered her on to try and motivate her and some of the other dancers to eat bananas that were protruding from the performer's vagina. Nowhere does it say that Lizzo wrestled her to the ground, forced her face into that stripper's vagina, and moved her mouth, making her eat the banana. It doesn't say that anywhere. She just cheered her on and tried to get her to try something. That's not sexual harassment. Oh, and, and the stupidest sexual... Well, actually, they're all stupid. She also claimed that the bus driver on the tour bus would play sexually explicit rap music, and that was sexual harassment because it made her feel threatened and not safe. Have you ever listened to the music of the woman that you are a dancer for? She said she told Lizzo that the music doesn't make her feel safe, and Lizzo did nothing about it, therefore Lizzo is enabling sexual harassment by, by music, the same kind of music that she dances to. You see how awful this person is? Which, by the way, back to the red light district for a second. When you choose to go to a bar in Amsterdam's red light district, a place where prostitution is legal and every club is a sex club, you are consenting to seeing nothing but genitalia and strangers engaging in sexual activity for the entirety of the night. If you're expecting a low-key evening of intelligent conversation at a quiet coffee shop, well, that's your own fault, and you can't claim sexual harassment if you get a different experience. On to the claim of racial harassment, which Lizzo is black, by the way, being accused of said racial harassment by a black girl. And what this girl, this instance that this girl calls racial harassment, she describes having requested to get 50% of her pay up front. Now, mind you, this is after she had already broken the legal contract and not done the nude photo shoot. Hadn't been fired despite that. They kept her on, even gave her a job. She's been offered other jobs. She says it in this complaint. She could have taken another job at any point in time. She didn't. And basically, by this point in time, you're reading this complaint and you're thinking, why haven't they fired this girl? All she does is cause problems and get offended by everything. But they kept her on anyway. And now she's demanding half of her pay up front. The person that is just a pain in the ass every step of the way is now demanding upfront pay. And so Lizzo's accountant responded to her via email saying that they would give her 25% up front and the other dancers as well, but then scolded her and a couple of the other girls for what they said was unacceptable and disrespectful behavior while on tour, stating that if they continued to behave that way, that they could, they could lose their job. And then she responded, the way that she interpreted this is expressed in the complaint here, where it says this. Only the dance cast, compromised of full-figured women of color, were ever spoken to in this manner, giving plaintiffs the impression that these comments were charged with racial and fat-phobic animus. Are you kidding me? Telling someone who is a pain in the ass that they're a pain in the ass is apparently 
fat phobia and racial discrimination? This response just proves that she is a pain in the ass. This girl, you, you can't criticize this girl ever. No one can anywhere. No one will ever hire her again if they read this complaint because the first time they level a criticism her way, one that is very justifiable, she's going to call their criticism racially charged fat phobia. It's like she could be punching a baby and someone could say, hey, could you please stop? You're hurting that child. And she dropped the baby, turned around, and accused them of fat shaming. And then she'd probably eat the baby. Because of this person's subjective interpretation and feeling of something that no one else in the world would interpret as racist or fat phobic, she has decided to sue someone for racial harassment. I stand with Lizzo. Solidarity. And the disability discrimination claim, which is the, maybe the, the worst one of them all, she says in the document that she disclosed early on when she was on the show that she struggled with anxiety and that despite making this known, Lizzo held a meeting anyway with her in which Lizzo asked her how she was doing, asked her about her health, and asked her about her well-being, which she interpreted this wellness check as Lizzo pressuring her to the point of anxiety of having to explain to them why she had gained weight. Do you see how psychotic that is? The show only cast her because she's overweight. If she were to lose weight, she would probably lose her job. Why would they care she gained weight? Is there some rule that we want you big, but nobody better get fatter than Lizzo rule? When she finally told Lizzo that she had been feeling anxiety lately, Lizzo then offered for her to take time away from rehearsal to go get treatment if she wanted, which she also viewed that as discrimination. The part of this that the complaint says is disability discrimination is Lizzo simply asking her how she's feeling because Lizzo should have known that she struggles with anxiety, which is triggered by anyone asking her how she's feeling. I'll say it again. I stand with Lizzo here. That's the first time I've ever defended Lizzo. And damn if I didn't do it with passion too. Lizzo, you fight this in court, girl. Don't give them a dime. That's where we're going to wrap up the show. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for watching. We'll talk to you next time. Have a fantastic rest of your day.